1: This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Oscar Sierra. He's a registered acupuncturist and herbalist, and his focus appears to be uh, cancer treatments, um, I assume using herbs and uh, other alternative methods. So Oscar, welcome. Thank you for coming.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure, Rich.
1: Yeah, Tell me, what. Uh, so your focus is cancer treatment using uh, what I guess traditional medicine calls alternative medicine?
2: Uh, that's a funny sentence you just said there. Um, I like correcting. It's usually doctors, physicians that are, that are saying, you know, traditional medicine. And I think what usually, I think what you meant and what most people and doctors mean when they, when they, when they say traditional medicine, I think they're meaning conventional medicine. So what I practice is conventional, I'm sorry, what I practice is traditional medicine, what doctors and physicians practice is conventional medicine. So what I do has thousands of years of track record and uh, written history, what, uh, the, the conventional physicians are doing, uh, which is, you know, often pretty cool stuff does not have thousands of years of, uh, written or written or oral tradition behind it. So, uh, and I love correcting, uh, physicians when they say, when, when they're the ones that are thinking that they predict, practice traditional medicine, I say, excuse me, um, I practice traditional medicine, you practice conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, So, um, it's basically whatever works that, that is safe and effective and appropriate for the patient, be it uh, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Western herbal medicine, Jamaican medicine, I don't care where it's from so long as it's safe and effective and is appropriate for the person. And that is uh, including, you know, conventional uh, methodologies as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah.
1: No, no, that's, that's fine. I, mean, I guess I have the, uh, the joke that if everything needed a clinical trial then no one should be eating any food or drinking any water because there's no double-blind clinical trial that proves that you know eating food is, is good for you so we shouldn't be doing yeah. any of that according to the, that's right uh, to that. so yeah
2: fortunately you know some things although they don't have a clinical double-blind placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial they have uh, a few thousand years of, um, of people commenting on the fact that it uh, did x y or z or at this dosage it was causing diarrhea and at this dosage it uh, it wasn't strong enough and that this golden dosage range it seemed to be just right
0: mm-hmm.
2: so whether that's for food and you know the energetic effect of uh, of you know cinnamon and ginger being warming or uh you know iceberg lettuce and um you know raw fruit as being cooling or for some of the medicinal agents that we use in uh in our apothecaries
1: yeah what's interesting to me about uh I guess plant medicine or herbal medicine is that, you know, the, well, again, I keep calling it traditional, but the, the normal medical system will give you pills that'll be an isolated compound, um, you know, with some additives. But anytime you interact with an herb or a plant, you're getting, you know, I guess the active compound, but you're getting hundreds and maybe thousands of ancillary compounds. And I don't think anyone, anyone understands how those ancillary compounds interact with you know your physiology, but they seem to work pretty well. From what I understand. What's your thinking? There? Yeah,
2: and interestingly, they work. They seem to work pretty well. Weller, if you will, more well uh, when they are in a more natural milieu of you know phytochemistry. So you know, there's no vitamin C tree out there. We all know vitamin C is great, but uh, but it exists within you know parsley, which is kind of one of the highest known sources of vitamin C. But you don't, you don't just get vitamin C; you get the fiber. You get the uh, antioxidants, you get the bioflavonoids, you know, you get some chlorophyll, you get all these different things, and your body recognizes that and um, and knows what to do with it, as opposed to you know getting a, a huge bolus of just vitamin C, which you know may or not be absorbed, and, and if it is absorbed, your body's like, oh, I don't know what that is. I'll use maybe twenty percent of that, but uh, the rest of it, who knows? So there's definitely a time and a place for the jackhammers that are you know the pharmaceutical approaches that is one single compound. But what we see, uh, even when we use those single, like in chemo, right, like uh, you get these, uh, you get several uh, chemotherapeutic drugs that are based off of one, uh, one phytochemical uh, that came originally from a tree or a shrub or plant or whatever. And, um, and those are useful to, you know, to kill off some cancer cells. What we find is that when we pair them back up with the milieu of, you know, for example, taxol right? From the Pacific yew tree. That's an entire tree that has all these different compounds. And if you just look at the taxanes uh, alone, you'll see a family of about a dozen taxanes, which are, you know, kind of the brothers and sisters of taxol. They kind of have the same color hair and a similar nose. And, uh, and you know, instead of just getting, you know, a million of, you know, little johnnies, you get, uh, it sure, gives a, give the person a shot of a million little johnnies, but add in just for good measure you know, a little handful of, uh, of his sister Susie and, you know, his, his, uh, older brother, you know, Timmy. And when the family is together, it tends to have a more balanced effect and, uh, and often even, uh, um, mitigate some of the side effects when you introduce the entire plant. You know, we say whole herbs or whole foods for whole people. We are not just, um, you know, a bunch of chemicals strung together. There's a, there's a little, there's a little bit more magic there, and you're absolutely right. We don't. We do know how some of these phytochemicals work, but when you put them in conjunction, no, we have no no idea how they all work together. And uh, and I'm okay with that. There's a little unknown and magic. And there's a fellow herbalist, uh, Robin McGee, who's a brilliant herbalist, makes amazing medicine. Um, but she's definitely not a uh, pedigreed PhD you know phytochemist. She's you know when her students ask her you know well how does that work? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really Rich in tannins, you know, is it reacting this way or that way with the receptors? And she said, "You know what? It's PFM." And said, "PFM, what is that?" And she says, "Pure fairy magic. That's how it works." And she's from South Carolina, and sometimes she she substitutes the fairy with another word. But um, but point is, uh, sometimes we don't know exactly how it works. But uh, at least when there's a written track record of it working from this dose to this dose, and uh, and having a, a measurable. Outcome. Yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: So what are some of the common treatments that you'll give? And I know it depends on the situation, but what are they? And, you know, how are they given? What's a few examples of what you, uh, you know, give to people?
2: Yeah, well, you know, you start with the basics, just, just with anything else. Um, you know, what, what are they eating? What are they not eating? Uh, what are they doing? What are they not doing? Not just their physical activity, but their mental and spiritual and emotional activity. And you start with those basic things because... You know, you can can function really well without herbs. I'm a big fan of herbs, but, you know, you can't function very well without the basic, you know, three things, which is your uh, adequate and balanced activity. Like I said, not just physical, but mental and emotional and spiritual, your sleep and downtime and, uh, and your diet and not just what you eat, but how you eat it. So I start there, and uh, herbs are amazing, but they're duct tape. You know, they, if those three things are one of those three things are off, or all those three things are off, they'll keep you together, but it's not the it's not the long term solution. So yeah, uh, you know, tinctures, decoctions, infusions, uh, suppositories, nebulizer mixes. You know, if it can go in you or on you, and it's natural, I'm all about it. I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to to get some of these things into people through the skin, you know, up their nose, eye drops. Uh, I love compounding. So I'll compound all kinds of stuff and, and find ways to, you know, get people to put in their smoothie, you know, do retention enemas, put it up their butt, you know, you name it. I'm, I'm, I'm working all the, all the angles.
1: What is a, what does a multivitamin look like in terms of the herb world or the plant world? If you you know, if someone says, Oh, I need a multivitamin or if you were to say that, How can they recreate that effect, but in a much better way, using uh, plants?
2: Well, I'd say a good breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That should be your multivitamin to to start with. Unfortunately, the dirt that those plants, you know, I'm a fan of a plant-based diet. Uh, Unfortunately, the the dirt that the plants were grown in doesn't have the minerals that it used to 50 years ago. And uh, and unfortunately, even if the, the dirt and the plants had it, and, um, you know, we're sucking in, breathing in and, and absorbing all kinds of chemicals that are basically, you know, burning up a lot of these nutrients at a faster rate and uh, antioxidants. So, unfortunately, most people do need, because of the dirt that's there and because of the air and water that uh, that they're exposed to, they need a little help. So, you know, it still starts with a, a really solid breakfast, lunch and dinner, especially breakfast is my, my big deal. But um, but if you're going to do a supplement, uh, it should ideally be kind of whole foods based rather than a synthetic, you know, vitamin C per se. I mentioned parsley earlier. Um, I'd rather see someone really concentrate some parsley and uh, shove that into a capsule, um, and you know, for the vitamin C, uh, or at least get a non-GMO corn or a non-corn. Most most vitamin C's out there are GMO corn based. Uh, form of a, of a synthetic ascorbate if you're gonna go synthetic. But I'm a I'm a fan of the uh the naturized stuff also, which means that um you're basically feeding the whatever nutrients if it's zinc or you know vitamin C or or um you know and magnesium, you're feeding it to yeast or bacteria. The yeast are then eating it and you you reach a point of saturation in a in a big pot full of these live critters and when they can't eat any more of the zinc then, uh, then you crush them up, dehydrate them, and shove them in a capsule. So rather than your stomach, you know, seeing zinc, which is a metal, and it's like, well, I, you know, I don't know what to do with that. It's it's kind of a rock. You know, I'm not really great at digesting rocks. Even though the capsule says that there's 60 milligrams of zinc in there, you know, the, the stomach sees it. I'm like, well, oh, I'll maybe use the first five or 10 milligrams, and after that, you know, just sending it right on through. Or vomiting it back up. In the case of you know me, a few times, you know taking zinc supplements that were crappy and on an empty stomach in the morning and throwing it back up. But uh, when they feed it to these live organisms, it's really cool. It's basically like a Trojan horse. So you know the nutrients are inside the horse, and the horse gets through the intestinal wall and barrier a lot easier, it gets absorbed because the, the your your enterocytes, your system recognize you know, what yeast and bacteria look like. And they say, oh, yeah, those are all crushed up little dead critters. I can eat them and we'll just gobble them right up. And then the payload comes out from the Trojan horse once is through the castle wall. And inside the, the Trojan horses, does or include the magnesium or the folate or whatever it is? So if you're asking about a supplemental type of thing, I'm kind of a fan of those too.
1: What, what if we're talking about, uh, you know, serious conditions where someone's facing cancer? Um, do you help people in those situations, and if so, you know how do you navigate that? How do you help them?
2: Well, that's most of my patient base at this point. Is uh, I work mainly with chronic disease and, and cancer patients. Um, there's a system uh, I didn't invent, uh, like the chicken sandwich, uh, called the ETMS. It stands for Eclectic Triphasic Medical System. Uh, Donnie Yance out in Oregon, probably one of the foremost um, geniuses uh, clinicians. And researchers of uh, not just holistic uh, cancer, but just cancer in general. He can run circles around most any oncologist I've ever met in terms of the Western approaches and pharmaceuticals and mechanisms of actions and those things and clinical trials, but also can speak extremely intelligently upon herbs and uh, genetics, genomics, uh, immune therapy, you know, so on and so forth. It's kind of a alien kind of guy because he knows so freaking much. But uh, anyhow, it's eclectic in that it's not just Chinese medicine. It's um, not just uh, Western medicine or genetics or genomics. It's kind of like I mentioned, you know, whatever works is inappropriate. And it's also a bit of a tip of a hat to the eclectic physicians who have an interesting history here in the U.S., uh, especially before the AMA, especially in the South where I am, uh, where there was a blockade in the Civil War and, um, you know, people were still getting shot and diarrhea and malaria and. You know, the the white physicians were like, well, we're out of meds. Hey, Native American guys, what do you guys got? Hey, Black people, what do you guys got? Hey, Irish people, what do you guys got? Hey, Creek, what do you guys got? And they said, well, you see that bush over there? Uh, we use that for diarrhea. And they said, oh, really, let's write that down. And, you know, they probably thought that was hysterical that they needed to write stuff down. But they did that hundreds of years ago in the, in the U.S. And since then, we have some pretty good literature that dates back to see, uh, you know, what some of the other options are when you can't get the drugs in from the north because of the civil war blockade. Anyhow, that's a little bit of a history lesson. It's eclectic, triphasic because it's not just uh, if you can imagine a Venn diagram. that's three overlapping circles. It's you know one circle is the U being the patient or the host, um, and you know all the basics of eating well, sleeping well, moving around well, uh, the things that any traditional medicine practitioner is pretty darn good at. Uh, The second circle is the environment. So we look at your physical and chemical environment to your social environment and see if you're, you know, sleeping on your cell phone on top of your Wi-Fi underneath power lines. There's no amount of chemo or my acupuncture or my herbs. None of those things are going to fix any of that. So, you know, someone needs to be asking the question, you know, what is your uh, chemical and physical and electromagnetic Uh, toxicity load and where's it coming from and maybe that's why you got the cancer in the first place the third circle so you got the youth first circle second circle is the environment third circle is the cancer itself which is where western medicine tends to jump to skip everything else is not just where the cancer is located it's micro terrain and um the more genetic details about the cancer not just where it's located so you know is it wearing Nikes or Reeboks or a Yankees hat or a Braves hat under the genetic microscope? Because these are different cancers. So, you know, 10 different guys with prostate cancer could have 10 totally different types of cancers. You know, one is wearing Reeboks, another is wearing Nikes and there's some drugs that do really well with the Reeboks, you know, wearing cancers, but not so well with the Nike wearing cancers and one has a oh, white shorts and a blue t-shirt and one has blue t-shirt and, you know, red shorts. So, you know, going into further genetic analysis of these things sometimes guides us towards uh, pharmaceutical as well as natural interventions. When you put all of these things together, like I said, you get the ETMS, and that's what we do for cancer patients. So it's not like we give everyone, you know, uh, turkey tail mushroom. It's a great mushroom, but it's it, you know we it's all customized to you know their environment, their condition, their constitution, their uh, their tumor genetics. And, uh, you know, what they want to be when they grow up. So it's uh, nuanced. Uh,
1: Okay. So, you know, again, I keep using the word traditional, but, you know, nowadays it seems like radiation, chemotherapy, surgery are the triumvirate of ways that, you know, science is treating cancer. Is it better for your interventions to come before or as an adjunct or after these uh, traditional three?
2: Uh, The conventional three, yeah, you're you're right, is surgery, chemo, radiation. Um, and, uh, yes, the answer is yes. It's uh, best if they do it before, during, and after all of these things. So if we, you know, all the things that you just mentioned, none of these increase vitality, you know, no one decides, oh, I'm feeling kind of tired today. Let's go get some surgery or some radiation or some chemo. You know, I'm feeling kind of hungover. Let's do some chemo. Um, you know, all, everyone agrees that these things are pretty bad for you. Not, not that they're, uh, categorically, A horrible option. You know, sometimes um, uh, chemo is a good option. It's never a great option, but sometimes it's a good option. Uh, Radiation is almost categorically on a bad option. Uh, Surgery can be a great option, especially once you shrunk the tumor down and uh, and gotten someone really strong, and uh, now you just need to do lumpectomy as opposed to a mastectomy. It's a much less invasive surgery. Uh, Recovery time is much shorter. it causes less inflammation and inflammation, you know, can cause a recurrence. Uh, you know, people want less invasive surgeries, people want less chemo. So, there are ways to piggyback what we do in traditional medicine and functional medicine with the conventional treatments to where someone can still do the chemo. And yes, they're going to get beat up some by the chemo, but they're not going to get beat up as much because we spent a month. You know, teaching them kung fu and putting on armor on them before they went into battle, as opposed to, you know, hey, you're freaked out and scared. Oh, that's a great time to go into battle with no shield and no training because um, you know you're going to get beat up. So, what, what, ideally, what does it mean?
1: Like, if, if someone's going to have chemo and they say, all right, I'm going to do it, what, what's an example of an intervention you would do to help strengthen them so that they fare better with the chemo?
2: Yeah, so let's take breast cancer, right? A very a pretty common cancer. And uh, the standard of care uh, often for your, you know, ER, PR positive cancers, your estrogen receptor and the progesterone receptor positive cancers is going to be uh, adriamycin, uh cytoxin, and taxol. So um, none of these are a walk in the park, right? No, like I said, none of them are good for you. No, no one is claiming they're good for you. Um, they're claiming that they're cytotoxic, meaning that they kill off cancer cells. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes they just kill off the good cells and they have no effect on the cancer cells. But a lot of the time, uh, they kill off the cancer cells. So we also know that uh, all of the time, uh, they kill off the good cells as well. And, and some of these have a tropism towards different tissues. So for example, adrenomycin, aka doxorubicin, or the red devil is sometimes called, um, is really bad for your heart. And oftentimes you might see someone be a quote unquote success story from a cancer standpoint because their tumor shrank or um, and they no longer have breast cancer, except they had a heart attack two years later and died because of that. Well, why'd they have the heart attack? Well, because you messed up their heart with the chemo and the oncologist doesn't see it as, um, you know, that was not my problem. That's a cardiologist's problem. You know, didn't die of cancer. So I'm in the clear. Uh, so To answer your question, if we know that someone is going to do chemo and they're going to do Adriamycin, ideally, first, we figure out if these are great fits for their cancer. And there's some advanced uh, testing that can give us some clues as to whether these are a good fit or a great fit or a poor fit. Secondly, if we know that they're going to say that they don't have money for that or don't have time for that or they're just not going to do it, um, okay, you're going to do chemo. Let's at least protect your heart because. We know that this thing is going to cause really bad guaranteed effects on your heart, so let's take a couple of weeks to a month to really strengthen your heart so that instead of starting from you know a midway level vitality for the heart and go down to poor uh after the chemo, we start at you know if it's a scale out of five out of ten, we maybe start at five and we take a couple of weeks and take you up to nine and then then you start the chemo at nine so that when you you know when you take a hit, you take a hit right maybe down to four. Instead of taking a hit from you know five to one, so before, during, and after, you, you there are some things like Hawthorne, like CoQ10, like magnesium, which are fairly simple and really have no side effects. Uh, that you can do that increase cardiac output and uh, strengthen the heart, and um, don't really have any side effects. So ideally, before, during, and after, we can all you know it depends on the chemo. So if you know what the chemo is going to mess up, and you know how to strengthen that tissue and protect that tissue, then you do it before, during, and after, and you fare better. You can measure these things by, you know, measuring cardiac output, by measuring NT-pro-BMP. You can measure uh, uh, galactin-3. These are all fairly non-invasive ways to measure, you know, what's the status of your heart or, you know, with cytoxin, it's going to mess up your kidneys. So you measure, you know, GFR, you measure BUN, phosphorus, you measure cystatin-C, Um you measure before and see okay you're doing good but you know uh, better to go into this even better so let's give you if you know you're going to do toxin, which is another type of chemo and it's going to mess up your kidneys let's give you some kidney support before during and after that and that way you come out you know less scathed, because no one's claiming that they're going to go through chemo and unscathed but my patients tend to not so much lose their hair tend to have their energy level pretty good when they're, they run their lab work. Their you know, CDC, their white blood cells, their red blood cells are lower than they were originally, but not as low as the bald people that are sitting next to them in the IV room that are not doing the herbs and the diet and the meditation and all the stuff. so But yes, before, during, and after, because they're doing the chemo.
1: Uh, yeah, that makes sense. What, uh, I don't know, have you uh, tracked you know, how the patients fare, like how much better – I, don't know if you, I know everything's variable, but, you know, do they do a lot better? Do they do a little bit better? Does it depend on the cancer? Like, what have you observed? How helpful is your adjunct to what they're already doing?
2: Um, you know, because I don't have the funds to do a double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trial, uh, I can't give you, you know, exact statistical rates, right? And it's hard to compare you know, a 70-year-old with, you know, pancreatic cancer, you know, which I've had, to, you know, 30-year-old with the skin cancer. You know, do you put those in the same group and, you know, say, hey, you know, you did your herbal stuff with both of them and, you know, one died. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, hard. You know, I'd have to have, you know, 20 or 30, 25-year-olds with that exact same condition and 20 or 30, 70-year-olds with that exact condition and then split them in half and, you know, only treat half of them. And, uh, and then somehow I'll blindfold myself on them. So I can just tell you from what my patients are noticing when they go into the IV room at hospitals where, you know, typically you have, you know, five to 20 people sitting there with IVs in them. And, uh, you know, it's a few times a week, uh, uh, month they do this. So they tend to kind of make friends with the people sitting next to them in the IV lounge. And uh, they're, they're seeing people look a lot worse than they are. And a lot of these people, you know, they talk and they say, yeah, you know, what are you in for? What are you in for? I got a breast cancer. I got prostate cancer. Yeah. You know, especially with a lot of the women there, you know, a lot of women also have, you know, breast cancer that are sitting next to them. And I frequently, you know, my patients tell me that when they're in the hospital that uh, everyone else looks like, you know, really bad, you know, not much hair, really pale, um, not strong enough to, uh, to do more chemo, whereas they're just kind of tired. And uh, instead of running, you know, one patient, I, I, you know, maybe her fourth or fifth round of chemo, she'd run a 5K that, that day and she was exhausted and she was upset because, you know, her normal 5K time was, was you know, five minutes off. Meanwhile, yeah. everyone there, you know, can barely walk up the stairs uh, to the IV suite. So yeah. it's very subjective, you know, and if I had some time and resources, I could easily compare you know, white blood cells, red blood cells, manocrat, uh, hemoglobin of my patients after chemo versus other patients uh, after chemo, the same chemo. And I think you'd see a pretty significant difference. But, um, you know, no one's funding this just yet. Yeah, Partly because it's not one thing. You know, I'm not giving everyone the same thing, which kind of makes the science a little bit harder. But there's the reality of and the, the beauty of customized, individualized, you know, holistic medicine. No, everyone isn't getting the same thing. So hard to just pin down one variable.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any particular cancers that it seems to be much more effective than others? Like what, what's some of the variation that you notice in the effects on people?
2: I've been in practice for close to 11 years now, and I've, I've really been honing in on uh, working with cancer patients since 2012. So I, I can't say I have 25 years of you know seeing every type of cancer there is out there. Um, but I can say I've had uh, great results uh, as in like no chemo, no radiation, no surgery with a lymphoma case that went to no evidence of disease despite none of those conventional treatments. And she's maybe three or four years out now. She was diagnosed and uh, they said, well, you know, we, uh, option is chemo. And uh, unfortunately, it has like a 20% success rate. And if we can kind of hold this off, you know, if it's slow growing, we recommend just kind of hang in until we need to do it. And then once we do it, though, we can't really come off of it. Um, and um, and so they said, let's let's give it two months to see if it's progressing uh, at an advanced rate. And if it is, then we're going to start chemo. And if it's not, then we're just going to kind of watch and wait. And I said, uh, great. So, you know, warmed up my hands and said, we got nothing to lose here. We got two months and yeah. no one's in our way. So we put on a pretty robust protocol. And, uh, you know, diet, lifestyle, herbs, um, sleep, all the rest, everything, all the things that I mentioned before and uh, a follow-up, PET CT scan, nothing shows up. So, you know, the classic response from the doctors, you know, blows my mind, but it always seems to be like a, you know, patented cookie cutter response. I say, whatever you're doing, keep doing as opposed to, what the hell are you doing? I see twenty of you every day, and you know everyone seems to, you know, at best stay the same, if not get worse. You completely reversed. Uh, aren't aren't you the least bit interested in seeing what the heck you did? No, I think I think they maybe are interested, but but they can't be interested because they can't be sitting there recommending the same thing to other people because it's outside of a conventional box. Uh, so that was lymphoma, stage two breast cancer that are ERPR positive, also tend to respond very well. And it's nice that we can monitor with not just imaging usually, but also blood work and thermography. And yeah, and so it's, um, and these are typically fairly uh, slow growing cancer. So it's not like a medical emergency that they jump into chemo or radiation or surgery right away. So we're able to kind of get a baseline on these things and put them on a the protocol for a month or three, and then measure them again to see what's up with cancer and what's up with the person. And you typically see the person doing a lot better with their markers, and the cancer shrinking, and the their cancer number is getting lower. So that's always encouraging to see, and you know, we'd like to do that uh, to where it kind of, kind of plateaued on the uh, improvement, and at that point do some, you know, less invasive surgery. Um, you know, when it's metastasized, it's a different story. Um, I usually do recommend um, conventional treatment along with. What we're doing again you know yes before during and after
1: but um for very very aggressive cancers um, what's been your experience in in helping people does it just help a little bit not as much or can it still dramatically improve their situation
2: uh you know i think there's always something that you can do you know i get calls from people that are in hospice You know, they got beat up already from chemo and radiation or surgery. And, you know, at this point, the doctor is saying there's nothing you can nothing that we can do. And then they call me. And, of course, the person at this point is pretty beat up. Uh, Their vital force is really low. The the cancer energy is pretty strong. And even in those situations, I mean, I, I think even helping someone make their transition to the next plane is still a role for the experienced clinician. Uh, I think essential oils are a beautiful way to do that. And there's always something that you can, you know, I'm not going to claim that I can cure cancer with with that patient or even a a stage two or, you know, stage one. But what I can say is I can make the process better for whatever your goals are and, you know, be realistic with people and say, you know, I don't think I have anything in my toolbox to make this thing completely go away, but I think we can do something to make your pain better or, you know, in these end of life type of situations, I think people would rather be, you know, cogent and have some level of clarity than just be, you know, doped up on opiates and have that be the way that you leave. Um, You know, people would probably rather be cognizant enough to, you know, get their affairs in order and, you know, say goodbye to family and then leave a little bit more peacefully. You know, that's that. I've had great results when people are sent off to hospice and the doctors say, oh, there's nothing else we can do. And then, you know, here we are three years later doing pushups. That's happened. Uh, and it was kind of convenient because the doctors were kind of out of the way. They, they said, nothing else we can do. I said, great, let's get to work. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it depends on the, the person that depends on the cancer. And there are some very aggressive cancers out there. I mean, I've had, I've been working with a 10 uh, year old with a brain tumor who has a recurrence and, it's a very rough situation, you know. She's done chemo every day for over a year, and she's running around like every other kid. Her oncologist is blown away that she has the energy that she does, and that she's functioning pretty much like all the other ten and eleven year olds. Yeah. But she's done chemo every single day for a year. That's crazy. And um, she was on a protocol, you know. She was on the herbs and diets and all this stuff. You know, it's testament to her parents yeah, and huh? her, obviously. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I've seen a six-year-old be gone within six months with a glioblastoma brain tumor. Um, Do I think I still was able to help in that situation? Yeah.
1: So is there uh, there anyone going around to as many cultures as possible and categorizing as much of the the plant medicine, herbal knowledge as possible that's out there?
2: Yeah, Donnie, every day, spends two hours, uh, the latest and greatest in cancer. And sometimes the latest and greatest is sometimes it's been around for 4,000 years. So yes, he every day every day of his life. I mean, he sends us an email with the latest and greatest and the clinical trials and the studies and the the, you know the latest on turmeric and black cumin seed oil and green tea or papaya or yoga or whatever it is. He sends us these updates via email, and um, uh, yeah, he's gotten a couple books out, and obviously not all this is in there, but he is uh, cataloging you know, everything out there and any bit of either traditional uh, usage and indications for the the type of things that we see in cancer, as well as the, you know, the studies that are in vivo or uh, in vitro with cell lines and they upregulate, you know, this enzyme or downregulate that inflammatory pathway. And, uh, you know, here's a journal that published it this month and the citation for, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff from, you know, there's thousands of herbs. So yes, Donny Yance is the one doing it. With regard to cancer specifically, there's other herbalists that are doing this with regard to all manner of other things. But when it comes to cancer and natural medicine, uh, and like you said, cataloging this stuff and you know making a record of of what does what, uh, that'd be Donny.
1: So if someone has you know again God forbid cancer and they're looking for help that's above and beyond you know the, the triumvirate of death, I guess I can call it. Um, how do they find someone that's good versus someone that really is just, you know, woo-woo, quack? And, you know, how do you navigate this area of the world?
2: Well, I would recommend someone that has um, the Donnie training, the ETMS training. So it's a 60-hour holistic oncology training. They they cap it off um, uh, every year, every couple of years when they do the training, 20 people. And the first time I applied to uh, be part of this training, I was rejected, and understandably so, because, uh, you know, I would have way too inexperienced. Uh, It would have been like trying to drink from a fire hose. Uh, The second time I got in, I think I'm the youngest person ever to to have completed the training. It was still like drinking from a fire hose. Um, But uh, these folks have a pretty comprehensive understanding of the best that conventional medicine has to offer, which has some good things. Uh, I don't want to poo-poo conventional medicine entirely, but they also have a pretty solid understanding as to what traditional medicine offers. And, you know, the best of both worlds. Why not? So these are ETMS practitioners, and you can look them up on Donnie's uh, Natura website. There's a link at the top that says resources. If you go to, I think, naturahealthproducts.com, top right, it'll say resources. Scroll down and if you'll find a practitioner. Type in your zip code, and we'll bring up the closest ETMS practitioners out there who have done this this training. Um, and I I know most of them. Um, even in person and uh, I'm on the on on phone with these guys every month on a conference call with Donnie. So we're all on pretty tight communications. Uh not to say that if someone is not on this list that they're a quack or you know, worthless. But um, but that's a good start.
1: Okay. Um are there any common names for people that do what you do? Are they just called herbalists or are they called something else? Or you know, again, you know not everyone uh, in the when world I took can the
2: class, see you. Yeah, about half the the class was uh, physicians and half the class were herbalists slash acupuncturists. And interestingly, uh, 100% of the time, half the class was totally confused. So, you know, when Donnie was talking about the yin and yang of things and the herbs and the vital force and the vital spirit, the doctors were like, what are you talking about? And, uh, of course, all the acupuncturists and traditional medicine folks are like, "Yeah, of course, you know, this is easy. Well, maybe not easy. But uh, my language, and when you know Donnie was talking about the uh, alpha-ketoglutarate and the uh, citric acid cycle and the you know uh, CA125 versus the CEA versus the you know and hemoglobin and D-dimer and fibrinogen and fibrin, um, you know a lot of the acupuncturists and herbalists were kind of scratching their head, saying, you know, I kind of remember maybe some of the stuff from biology, uh, but I'm not completely. Up to speed on all these things, so um, like I said, it was drinking from the fire hose no matter you know who you were, you know, pretty much everyone was you know confused when we were talking about genetics because you know the doctors aren't really trained in this stuff, and the acupuncturists and herbalists aren't trained in this stuff a whole lot either, so it was uh it still is a learning curve I mean I'm spending hours and hours each week you know keeping up with Donny stuff and the latest with genetics and genomics and herbs and nutrients and drugs and, uh, the interactions between all those things. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, it's, it can be a doctor, it can be an herbalist, but, um, uh, if it's a herbalist, you're always guaranteed that they're going to look at the basic things, the diet, lifestyle, you know, your sleep, you know, get you look at the whole big picture. If it's a doctor, uh, you're not always guaranteed that they may just focus on the cancer, and they may have a great effect on reducing the tumor size, but they killed you in the meantime. So the, the docs that go through this training have a much uh, more keen, aware understanding of you know the big picture and the person and the environment, not just the cancer.
1: Excellent. Oscar, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, any URLs or resources for people that want to learn more or essentially have you given it already?
2: Oh... Uh, I don't know. Donnie has some pretty good books. Um, I'm in Atlanta. I'm happy to help people, and uh, uh, oftentimes, you know, I've had patients in Utah, and you know, my first inclination is to try to get someone local, but sometimes there just isn't anybody that yeah. that knows what I do and, and has the, the depth of experience or the breadth of experience. And I love collaborating with other acupuncturists, herbalists, and physicians in other places. And they'll let me be in charge of all the herbs and diet and lifestyle stuff. And they'll, you know, run some labs or do some prescription drugs as needed or some acupuncture locally. I obviously can't do that over the phone, but, uh, but I love collaborating with folks from across the country. And um, so I'm happy to help someone myself, the, the you know, my own company is Sierra Botanica and Collaborative Medicine. You know, That's the name. I love collaborating. I'm not always the one slinging needles, but, uh, but I'm happy to be the one kind of overseeing the, uh, the big picture, make sure uh, no stone gets unturned. Um, so there's that here, collaborative medicine, and uh, the Donnie Natura, uh, healthproducts.com, as well as his nonprofit, Midiri Institute, is its clinic dedicated to uh, educating folks, physicians alike, and our acupointeos, herbalist, naturopaths. We had a, when I did the training, we even had a vet, uh, a veterinary med person in our training, because, you know, Dogs and cats get cancer too, and uh, why not also use the herbs and uh, holistic approach for that? So, yeah. Okay.
1: Well, very good. Well, Oscar, thank you for coming on the podcast. I I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, man. Anytime, I'm happy to help.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues.